Amen. Amen. Father God, we just thank you that you are a great God. We thank you, Lord, for your presence right now in this building and for those watching online. We thank you, Lord, that you care so much about every one of us and you know us individually by name. In fact, more than that, you know us even by the number of hairs on our head, if we even have any hairs on our head. But Lord, we just thank you today that we can't comprehend how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. As you take your seats, please wave to someone, give them a high five, tell them how good looking they are. Thank you to our awesome worship team today. Haven't they been amazing? You know, I don't know about you, but I was a little cold today when I came out. And um, I guess you're warm at the top there. And as I was getting, gathering all my stuff, you know what it's like when you're gathering all your stuff to go to church. I remember the days when we had three little kids and I was carrying nappies and bottles. Well, I've only got myself to look after these days because Pastor Jason will look after himself. But I'm gathering all my stuff together and then I get distracted. You know, there's a conversation and I get distracted and I get involved in the conversation and then I go out the door and come to church, realizing that I forgot my cardigan. So, you know, have you ever been distracted or have you ever been interrupted and it's took you off course or you've changed what you were doing and then you've lost something or forgotten something? There are many occasions in our lives where we get interrupted. Now, distraction is something that comes along unplanned and it causes you to take your mind off something that's important and then you start looking at something less important. But an interruption is something that comes along unplanned and it takes your mind or your attention off something that's important and transfers it to something that might be more important. So today I wanna to talk about the interruptions that God sends into our lives. And as it's Christmas, I thought, why don't we look at the Christmas characters? After all, I believe that the greatest interruption that God sent to mankind was Christmas. Wasn't it the interruption where God broke through as Jesus Christ into this earth and he interrupted the way we were going. He interrupted the course of our lives. He interrupted our agendas. When Jesus Christ came to earth, things changed. They will never be the same again. So God interruptions, what are they? So we're gonna look at some God interruptions into the lives of people like Mary, of Joseph, of the Mag Magi and the shepherds. If you've got your Bibles with you, the first one we're gonna look at is Mary. You'll find her story in the book of Luke and it's chapter one, verses 26 to 38. Now, if you've read this story, I'm not gonna read it through, but I'm giving you the reference to read it. If you've read this story, you will be familiar that Mary is a teen. She's a teenage girl. She's not only just a teen, she's a teen with a dream. She's getting ready to get married. So she's busy about the shopping, she's busy about the dress, she's busy about the shoes. This is 
preacher's liberty, so get with me here. I know it's gonna be first century back there, but Mary is still full of the excitement and the planning that young girls do as they're getting ready to marry their beau, the man of their dreams. And so there she is, we, we, we meet her when she's so busy in the middle of all the preparations. She's checking the guest list for the wedding. She's searching for the best venue. She's searching for the best accessories for her day. She's doing all the stuff and she's dreaming. She's dreaming of the house that they're gonna live in. She's dreaming about getting the Smeg fridge. She's dreaming about the kids they're gonna have and the schools they're gonna go to and everything else that comes with a teenager's dream. As she's dreaming about her life, her future, that she's on the threshold of stepping into. And I can just imagine that one day when she's busy about her list, she's busy about her planning, she's busy about her life and her future and the excitement of the wedding that's coming, when all of a sudden this bright light breaks through into the room that she's sat in and there she is faced with a ginormous angel. I don't know about you, but angels are not those sweet little cherubs, but they are ginormous presents of God. They are mighty, they are powerful, they are frightening. And if an angel appeared to you, and there's probably angels in this place right now that we're not aware of, but if an angel appeared to you in your kitchen one day, and you were a teen in the middle of planning your wedding, it was gonna be pretty awesome, but pretty scary and pretty frightening. And I'm just amazed that angel Gabriel has the audacity to say, don't fear. I bring good tidings of great joy. You who are highly favoured. And I don't think that this young Mary felt very highly favoured at that time. I, and I don't think she felt like she was not going to be fearful. But then this angel starts to unfold the purpose of his presence. He starts to tell her, Mary, you're gonna have a baby. And she's thinking, yeah, great, in the future, once we get this marriage out of the way, I'm, I'm gonna look forward to that, I'm gonna embrace that. No, you're gonna have a baby right now, and you're gonna call him Jesus, and he's gonna be the Son of God, he's gonna be the Lord of Lords, he's gonna be the King of Kings, he's gonna be righteous, and his kingdom will have no end, and he's gonna rule and reign. And I just think she stopped at the word baby. I don't think she really took on everything that the angel said to her, and I'm so glad it's written down in our Bible so she can scoop back and read through. What, what did you say, angel Gabriel? Because it would have gone over my head. It was so awesome, it was so big, it was so gigantic, it was so miraculous. It was such an interruption to her plans, and I would say, what, what, what? I would say, why me? Why now? Right now, Lord, can't you see that I'm in the middle of planning for my wedding? Can't you see that I'm excited to marry Joseph? Can't you see I'm busy, Lord, and I've got my life planned out, and didn't I pray about it, and didn't I offer it to you, Lord, and aren't you blessing it? Why now? Why right at the edge of this life change, this amazing thing I'm gonna step into, that you interrupt my life and tell me I'm gonna have a baby? 
And what's more that I can't understand or I can't comprehend, but it's gonna be the Lord, the savior of the world? Why me? It wasn't that Mary was perfect or good in every sense, but she was chosen. And she was interrupted this day and there was confusion set in. No wonder she was troubled, no wonder she was shaken. As she started to contemplate, yes, this is a holy presence. That means God is gonna do what he says he's gonna do. Oh Lord. And the, the shame and the disgrace started to become a reality. What am I gonna say to my friends? What am I gonna say to my neighbors? What am I gonna say to my community? I'm not married yet. You know, in those days, a woman that got pregnant out of wedlock, the law said she had to be stoned to death. Oh my goodness, what am I gonna say to Joseph? Is he gonna marry me now? Sometimes there are times in our lives where God interrupts our plans and he interrupts our preparations, even when they are good plans, even when they are good preparations and he, he steps in and he gives us a challenge and he asks us to step away from that and step into his plan. But his plan seems so scary. His plan seems so big and his plan seems so costly. She is gonna be ostracized from her community. She is gonna be shame beyond shame. I remember once when Pastor and I were called to Bible college and, and we were afraid to tell the family and we sat them down and we were afraid of what they would say because what people say, especially the ones that we love and care about, matters so much to us. And I can imagine Mary, a young teen, wondering and trying to work out the words that she was gonna to say to her father as she looked him in the face and said she was now pregnant, but more so what she was gonna to say to Joseph, her betrothed. Would he even believe her? And she realizes she's gotta say yes. In Luke 138, it says this, I am the Lord's servant. She surrenders her will. And Mary says, may your word to me, Lord, be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. She had a supernatural encounter with an angel, but this supernatural encounter was a supernatural interruption of her life. And she, she finally comes to the place where she surrenders and she lays down her plans, she lays down her dreams, she even lays down the possibility that she's gonna get married to Joseph. She lays down everything and she's ready to face all that she's gotta face with a shame amongst her community. It's scary, it's really stupid, it feels so unsafe and it's so unclear, but she's saying, yes, Lord, bring it on. I wonder. I wonder if ever we were in that situation, would we have that faith and that audacity to say in the face of everything else that we don't know we're gonna face, to say, yes, Lord, bring it on. I'm gonna step into your will and step aside from my plans and my dreams. She said, yes. 
And when Mary, this young girl, says yes, her heart overflows with a magnitude of praise and worship called the great magnificent to God. And out of her being comes the the words of God. She knows her Bible. She knows her stuff. She knows her God. Yet there was something that pierced her heart. It was the call of God. It was the interruption of God. And out of that piercing came this flow of praising. And I'm sure if she were here today, she would tell us that out of that praise came a strength for the next steps. She had to face Joseph. So what about Joseph? Joseph's story, if you're taking notes, can be found in Matthew chapter 1. 18 to 24 verses. Joseph is a young man. He's upstanding in his community. He's a young pillar of society. He's honest. He's a hard worker. He started his own business and it's really successful. He's renowned throughout his area. He's devout. He serves God. He believes God. He trusts God. He's a good man. And he has caught his dream girl, Mary. You know, I don't know how long Joseph's had his eye on Mary, how long he's been following her, how long he's been praying for her, but God has answered his prayer. And now Mary has accepted to be his wife and he is so happy and he's working towards it and he's gonna get her a good home and he's gonna be a good husband and he can't wait for that day of their wedding. But Mary comes to him rather sheepishly. And could you just imagine the conversation? You're pregnant? And God's the daddy? God's the baby daddy? Yeah, right. Yeah. You're still pure? Uh huh. Do you think I was born yesterday? And Joseph, like any sensible man, assumes sin. All the evidence is there, standing before him. His betrothed, the woman that he loves, the woman that he has waited for, the woman that he has been working for, the woman that he is about to marry, is standing before him pregnant. She has sinned. She's gone with someone else. He knows how these things happen. He can't believe the words that she's saying. He can't believe that he's blamed, that she's blaming God. He feels hurt. His heart is broken. He feels betrayed. He feels angry. He feels alone. He feels ashamed. How can he face his community now? Everyone knows them. Everyone's invited. He's been such a fool. He trusted this woman. He loved this woman. He honored this woman. He resisted himself from this woman to keep her pure. And now she's pregnant with someone else's child. You know, the Bible is real. The Bible has real stories because God understands us. There's got to be a way out. But he's done with Mary The pain is just too much. In fact, it says in verse 19, Joseph, her husband, because once you're betrothed in those days, it's a done deal. 
Her husband was faithful to the law. In other words, he was a good man, but, but he has, is now conflicted because he was faithful to the law and yet he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to get rid of her, to divorce her quietly. Quietly and quickly. You know, Mary is often honored and revered as being the mother of Jesus Christ, and that's good. And Joseph really gets a bad deal. He's just the footnote, the extra in the story, because she had to have a husband. But as I started to look again afresh on this story, I started to realize something. This man, he'd had such a wrong done to him right at this moment. He thinks that he is so wrong done to, and yet he responds in righteousness. He doesn't want to make an example of Mary. He doesn't want to expose Mary. He doesn't want to tell on Mary and point the finger and show everyone that she's, she's gone off with someone else and that she's sinned and look what she's done. He doesn't want revenge. He isn't vengeful in his heart. He doesn't want payback. He doesn't even want justice even though he was entitled to justice because the law in those days said that she should be stoned. He was caring about her. He wanted to cover her. He wanted to show her kindness. He wanted to be gracious to her. And, and did he not know that his stepson Jesus in the future, because we have the benefit of reading the whole Bible, and we can see what happens in the story, that he does get married to her, and that he does, have, he does bring up Jesus, and yet his, his stepson Jesus once confronts a, um, a crowd stoning a woman, and Jesus steps in to rescue this woman, and he tells the crowd, Whoever of you is without sin, you go ahead and cast the first stone. And one by one, they drop their stones and they walk away. And then Jesus says to the woman, who is here to condemn you? I don't condemn you either, so go in peace. At this point, J, uh, G, Joseph, sorry, Joseph is at this crossroads in his life where he's in this situation, similar to that that his, his stepson will one day be in but he offers Mary mercy. He extends to Mary grace undeserved. And he extends to Mary a shield over her shame. Remember the story of Noah and his sons. Noah got drunk one day and he was found naked in his cave. And so his first son went here into him and his name was Ham and he points to his father and he runs to the other brothers and he says, look at our dad. Look at the state of our dad. He's gone and got himself drunk and now he's lying with no clothes on. Look at his sin. Look at the mess that he's in. And Noah's other two sons, they put a cloak over their shoulders and they walk into their father backwards because they do not want to look on his shame or his nakedness and they throw the cloak over Noah and they cover their father's nakedness. In this same way, Joseph wants to cover, cover what Mary has done. In the same way, doesn't Jesus do that today? He doesn't expose us or make an example of us. He gives us a grace period and he helps us. 
And in fact, he goes one step further. He takes our shame off us and onto himself. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream because it was all right that Joseph was going to be righteous. It was one thing that Joseph was going to protect Mary and get rid of her quietly and so that she wouldn't be shamed. But there was something more that God was asking of him. And so he sends him an angel in a dream. And the angel says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You know, I would think that in a story like that, in a situation like that, you definitely need a God encounter. Mary had a God encounter where the angel came and spoke. Joseph now has a God encounter. I also find it interesting that Joseph is asleep. Sometimes God needs us to be asleep before he can speak to us because we're too busy and we don't pay any attention to God. So he waits for us to be asleep and then he gives us dreams and speak to us that way. And here Joseph has a dream and the angel tells him and confirms the story that Mary has given him. He has an about turn. He turns his around, he changes his mind. He realizes that no, this isn't a mistake, but this is a calling of God. This is a plan of God. This is something he needs to take hold of and step into. And so when he wakes up, he does what the angel of the Lord commands him and he takes Mary to be his wife. This carpenter that was once found shaping wood would now be a carer shaping the young Jesus as he grew. This backstreet Bethlehem woodworker was now entrusted to be the stepfather of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't get it, do you? You don't get what a calling, what an honor, what an awesome thing to interrupt Joseph's life. I don't think he would ever be the same again. When God tested Joseph, he saw something in Joseph's heart. When he saw how Joseph had responded to Mary when he'd been done to, when there was a wrong done to him, God saw that he could trust him with his very own son. I wonder today, I wonder, is God testing you in any area of your life? I wonder, is God looking at your life and, and asking himself, what can I trust them with? He's gonna test you because he wants to trust you, because he wants to put his purpose and his plans into your hands. And he's going to send a supernatural interruption into your life to do that. Can he trust you? The next group of people I want to look at is the shepherds. And we find them in the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 to 1, to, uh, ver sorry, chapter 8, 1 to 8 verses. We all know about the shepherds. 
They're on the backside of Bethlehem. They're out in the fields. They're unseen. They're unheard. They're a bit smelly. They're a bit like cast outs. They're probably poorer than the rest of society. They're on duty right now. They're watching their sheep. They're watching their flocks. It's dark. It's nighttime. It's a chilled out time. And maybe they're sat there and they're chatting away, and there's just the tinkling of the bells and the the lowing of the sheep, and they're talking about life going on. And all of a sudden, it ain't so silent night anymore. Because it's not just a big booming light when the angel comes, it's a noise as well. The power and the presence of God has come into their midst when they're busy doing work, when they're busy doing life. They weren't praying for it, they weren't seeking for it, they weren't asking God for a visitation. Isn't it amazing when we're busy doing stuff? God shows up, God breaks through. God interrupts what we're doing. So suddenly, the angel turns up. And if you read the story, it's not just one angel, but then all of a sudden there's a host of God's angels and armies. That must have been a thunderous experience. No wonder they were scared. No wonder they were terrified. In fact, in the Greek that used the word phobito, which means phobia, is where we get all our phobia stuff from. It was a shepherd's fault because they were scaredy cats and we start getting scared about all sorts of stuff. But these scared, shaking shepherds, they weren't so stupid, you know. They might have been uneducated in the sense but they were experts at sheep. (laughs) So when the angel tells them that today in St. David's city, there is a savior that has been born, a Messiah, a Lord, they knew exactly what the angel was talking about because they knew they were waiting for the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world because some of the sheep that they were looking after would have ended up as sacrificed in the temple as men tried to take away their sin by by sacrificing animals and this stuff was only temporary and it would have to happen again and again and again. But these shepherds, even though they were uneducated, were experts and knew that one day there was a lamb coming into the world that was gonna take away the sins of the world forever and ever, once and for all. So when the angel tells them, uh, just down the road, mates, there's um, a baby been born and it's actually the savior of the world. So if you wanna go and check it out, I'd, uh, and they did wanna go and check it out. So when the angel had gone, they looked at each other, they turned to each other and they said, come on lads, let's go. And they packed up their stuff, they left their sheep in the field, they left their workplace. You know, these were were shepherds that were loyal to what they were doing, but something interrupted their world that was so much more important. And I think these are the cleverest people in the story because they didn't just take an angel's word for it, as amazing as that is, But they said, let's go and see this for ourselves. Let's go and check this out for ourselves. So off they go. And when they they had seen him, the baby Jesus, they started to spread the word 
concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds were the first evangelists. These shepherds that probably weren't very eloquent became the most vocal about Jesus. These shepherds that were the most scared became the most emboldened and declared to everyone that the Son of God was now born. Their panic had turned to praise. Their paralyzed moment had turned to a purpose. And their fear was actually now fun as they declared the truth to everyone. That Jesus is born and we've seen him with our own eyes. I wonder if you want to take a note from the shepherds this Christmas. And maybe you want to share about Jesus to the people in your community, to the people in your workplace, to the people in your street. If the shepherds could do it, I'm sure you could do it too. I used to work at a post office, the post office, sorry, and my friend had got me the job and she'd been working there for 11 years. She was in our church, our old church. And for 11 years, no one knew she was a Christian. And yet on my first Monday in the Royal Mail, all of a sudden, I'm telling people about Jesus and everyone now knows that I'm a Christian and so is my friend that has been there 11 years. And sometimes we're keeping the best gift to ourselves when we need to be sharing it. In the news this week, didn't it say that for the first time that we are not a, a totally Christian nation or we're, we've dropped below 50%? Isn't this Christmas the time that we can be shepherds and share the good news of Jesus? But some of us. So let's move on to the Magi. You'll find the Magi in the book of Matthew in chapter 2. The Magi are scholars, they're clever people, they are the educated, they study astronomy which is the stars and not astrology which is like your stars that you read in the papers that you don't buy. They are clever, they are rich, they are gentlemen, they are advisors to royalty so they're very important people and that says this, they ask where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star and we've come to worship him. You know, these magi were set in places like Iran and Iraq. And 2,000 kilometers they had to travel, which would take them two to three months on the back of a camel if they were lucky. And they were saying, we've come to worship him. I'm just wondering how much effort we put into actually coming to worship him when we've only got perhaps a, a few miles to travel to church and we don't have to go on a camel, but that's a story for another day. These magi didn't have to do this thing, but God interrupted their life. He interrupted their work. They were studying stars. So God put a big shiny star that they knew all about what it meant that a king would be born. And they could see this star, and so they decided that this, this interruption is something that's more important than our general stuff that we do in our work. And we're gonna stop what we're doing, and we're gonna follow this star, because this king is an important king. It doesn't really say that these magi were believers. 
Yet God interrupted their life for a purpose. So they set off on an uncomfortable and very long journey. It was dangerous. They were tired. They were exhausted. These men were probably gentlemen. They weren't used to riding on the back of camels for such a long time. They were used to hardships. They were rich and they were used to living in palaces and treated really well. And yet they left their palaces. They left their families. They left their workplaces because they were in search of a star. And when they saw the child, you see, it wasn't just the star that they were searching for. It was Jesus. They were searching for Jesus. And they went through such a terrible, unsafe, long journey to look for Jesus. And when they saw the child with his mother Mary, they bowed down, they worshipped him, they opened their treasures and they presented him with gold, which was fit for a king, which prophetically tells us that Jesus is going to be born to be the king. And they give him frankincense, which represents their worship. And they give him myrrh, which represents the oil that was used for anointing the burials. So it represents the cross that Jesus would give his life on. These foreign, these maybe unbelieving, clever men, magi, they came all this way, all the way to Bethlehem in search of a savior they didn't yet believe in. I think the lesson here is that there are still men and women wise men and women today around us, in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces. And they're searching for Jesus. They see the star, but they don't understand what it fully means. But they are searching for Jesus. And all we need to do is to step in and guide them to him. There is no one outside of God's plan. There is no one on this earth outside of God's promise. There is no one on this earth outside of God's purpose. There is no one outside of God's plan for salvation and restoration. And for me, this is what the Magi represent, that they are all the people that don't know Jesus yet, but they are searching for him. They might not realize it, what they're doing. They might not think that they are looking for Jesus. So why don't we just guide them in a better way? But when they met with Jesus, when we meet with Jesus, it changes us. These lofty, high and mighty, rich men, or probably lords, yet they come to the baby Jesus and there is a supernatural interruption in their intellect, in their heart, and they realize that there is something more about this baby Jesus and they instinctively bow down and worship him as Lord and Savior. Because when we meet with Jesus, it changes us and it changed them. I wonder if the band wanna come back right now. It humbled them to the point that they gave their very best to Jesus. They gave their best gold, 
They gave their best treasures. In fact, the scripture says they opened up their treasure chest. You see, when we meet with Jesus, we start to open up our life to him. We open up our pain. We open up our betrayal like Joseph was betrayed. We open up our disgrace like Mary was disgraced. We open up our fear like the shepherds were feared. We just open it all up to Jesus because he can see it anyway. And we lay it at his feet and humbly we come and we bow down. And we give him our gifts as ugly and rubbish as they are because we have nothing good to give him that is of ourselves. And I wonder today, just like when the Magi came, I don't know what they were expecting. But when I read a little further, something changed in their lives because they came there because they followed a physical star. Mary had a supernatural interruption. She had a supernatural encounter with an angel. Joseph had a supernatural interruption. He had an encounter with an angel and a dream. The shepherds had a supernatural encounter, a supernatural interruption of angels and angelic hosts. But they had a physical star. That wasn't really supernatural. But on their way home, as they turned to go back to their lands, they had a supernatural interruption. They had a supernatural encounter. They had an angel in a dream that warned them not to go back to Herod. Something changed after they met with Jesus. Something transformed their lives from being a life in the natural realm, as clever as they were, into the supernatural realm. Something spiritual. And for every one of us today, whether we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, whether we're on a journey about it, whether we don't want to know about it, there is an element of our lives that is not just natural, but is supernatural. We have a spirit being and the only one that can bring that alive is Jesus Christ. The only way that that can come to life is with a supernatural interruption of the way that we're living, the way that we're doing life is a supernatural encounter. Have you had any supernatural encounters recently? Have you encountered the presence of an angel recently? I've told this story before of a moment in my life when I was in a church in Toronto. And as I lay on the floor and God was ministering to me, I looked up because there was such a thunderous noise going on. And I was saying, Lord, what is that noise? And God was showing me it was the angels in the place. And I wanted to see the angels and it was an auditorium bigger than this. And yet all I could see as I looked up to the ceiling, I could only see up to their knees. As the angels went through the roof, they were so big. And they were singing and praising God. And in my little weak, feeble voice, I'm saying, why are you here? And they said, we are hosting the presence of the Lord. And we might gather in a physical building today. We might have physical bodies today. But please understand there is a truth that there is a supernatural presence right now and right where you are. Even in this building today, 
no matter what has come before us, no matter what has come after us, this right now is holy ground and there is a holy presence and there are angels all around. I wonder if we could become more attuned to the supernatural presence of God over this Christmas. I wonder if we could realise that the greatest interruption was God come down at Christmas when He looked down on us and when He looked at the way that we were living and the way that this earth was going. And He said, I've had enough. So He takes off His robe, He takes off His coat and He says, I'm going down there. And there was a story where a farmer had saw these geese and they were flying and they, they got lost in, in the fog. And as they got confused, they started to land down onto his farmyard one by one, one by one. And he knew that they would be in danger if he didn't get them into the barn. And he was trying to get them into the barn, into the safety of his house. But they, they didn't know him. He wasn't one of them. And it realised, the farmer realised, they're not going to listen to me because I'm not one of them. I'm not like them. And God in his heavenly realm was saying, that I'm trying to get them into the safety of my house, but they're, they're not listening to me they're, because I'm not one of them. I don't look like them. So I've got to lay aside my majesty. I've got to step down into humanity. And the only way I can do that is to surrender and become like a baby and be born on earth and get up close to humankind and show them how much I love them. That I'm going to grow up just the way they grow up, with skin and bones, with pain, with hunger, with feelings. I'm going to be just like them, humans, so they can see me, they can know me, and I'm going to walk the path they walk. But there's only one difference. I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to take away their shame. I'm going to take away all the stuff they've done wrong. I'm going to say, bring me your gifts, as ugly and dirty as they are. This Christmas, bring me your sin. Bring me your addiction. Bring me your pain. Bring me your betrayal. Bring it all to me. Bring it to the cross. Bring it to Jesus and lay it down. Bow down and give Him those gifts. And God says in exchange, I'm going to gather up those ugly gifts. I'm going to carry the pain of those gifts, the penalty of all that junk. And in exchange, I'm going to take away your shame. And I'm going to be the lifter of your head. And I'm going to robe you in righteousness. I'm going to put joy and peace. And I am going to love you with an everlasting love that you don't deserve, but a love that will never, never perish or fade. There's nothing that you can do that separates you from my love. I am going to restore you. I am going to build you up. Because you are mine. The Lord says, you are mine. And so on this Christmas season, I want us to be open and ready and asking for a supernatural interruption. 
Mary exchanged her disgrace for a destiny. Joseph exchanged the pain of his heart and the betrayal and became betrothed. The shepherds exchanged their fear for faith and boldness and witnessing. The Magi were exhausted from the traveling. Anyone exhausted today? And God exchanged it for an exalting of praise and strength and worship. Mary saw angels. Joseph had dreams. The shepherd had a whole host of angels. The Magi saw a star and then they had dreams. All because Christmas broke in. Christ broke through. Mary said yes and she carried Christ. Joseph carried God's son on his shoulders because he had a father heart. The shepherds carried God's message to a lost world. The Magi carried the gifts that represent the stuff that we need. And Jesus, Jesus decided to carry you and me. Today, let this be a new season a new Christmas season of Christ come down, of Christ's reality in our lives. Let me pray for you right now. You know, if this message has spoken to you in any way, shape or form, I want you to do something brave. I want you to stand to your feet and I'm gonna pray specifically for you. I'll see you when you stand. You see, Joseph had to be brave. Mary had to be so brave. The Magi had to get uncomfortable. Mary had to put aside what other people thought about her situation. The shepherds left their flocks and they went boldly shouting the message of Christ. They had to do something brave. Stand. If you want to do something brave right now, it's a sign, not to me, but a sign to God that you want this supernatural encounter. You want this supernatural interruption that this Christmas, you want it to mean something different. Maybe you want to see angels. Maybe you want to encounter dreams. Father God, for all of us right now, especially those standing brave. Lord, we pray for a new fresh encounter of you. I pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit will come down right now and empower those who are feared. That Lord God, you would touch those who need healing. That those who have heavy hearts, that you would put it back together and mend broken hearts. But Lord, together we ask that you would open our eyes to realise that we are not just living a natural life, but we walking in you are living a supernatural life. And we ask you, Lord, to interrupt us this Christmas, to speak to us as we step into your plans and your purposes. In Jesus' name.
And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay, see you next week at Glaston Road Campus.